HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. Hi, I'm Eli Sussman. Welcome to The Line here on Heritage Radio Network. On today's episode, I welcome Dario Wolos, the founder of Tacombi. When Dario was at Cornell, he participated in a business plan challenge where the idea for his company was born. After spending five years working at an internet startup in London after college, he wound up back in Mexico in 2005 living in Playa del Carmen. There he purchased a VW bus and removed the engine and transmission, converting it into a taco restaurant, which he parked on Calle 12 in between the nightclubs. After the success in Playa del Carmen, he decided to take Tacombe to New York City. So the bus was shipped to Miami and then trailered up to New York City, where a landlord took a gamble on him and allowed him to park the VW bus inside what is now Tacombe Nolita. A fast expansion has followed with a production facility producing goods for expansion into grocery stores in addition to the brick-and-mortar locations. With 10 locations around New York City, this growing chain is poised to open its first two locations outside of New York City in the next year. On this episode recorded a few weeks ago, we spoke about the complexity of expansion, the community kitchen initiatives Tacombe has run during COVID, and how building a great business takes time. Now, on to the full interview with Dario Wolos of Tacombe. Good to be talking with you again. It's been a long, long couple months since we were last on the phone with each other. Yes, it's, uh, it has been uh, a very special year, I think, uh, uh, to say the least, it's, um, but it's, it's been, uh, I think, you know, uh, an awesome experience when I look back at it in terms of personal growth and, and connections, um, you know, with, with just so many people that we've all gone through this together, right. You know, fellow, fellow citizens and, and, you know, New Yorkers and, and people in, in, um, you know, in, Tacombe and, and family, it's it's just been intense. Um, I'm sure it's been the same for you as well, no? Yeah, I mean, it's we've I, we've had very different experiences. Just like it's very hard for any two people to compare their sort of COVID or quarantine experiences. But it's interesting, and 
actually really nice to actually hear you talk about it in sort of an optimistic, maybe dare I say positive way. Can you uh, go in a little bit deeper on why it has been uh, the type of experience that you've had. And if I'm wrong in qualifying it as a positive experience, then then tell me what kind of experience has it been for you since March when there was a original shutdown of businesses and restaurants. And then you and I spoke in May. And in May, you still had many of your locations shut down, but you were actually beginning to open up some of them. And now we're in December and where are you at and where is the company at? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's 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 been a year I think with a lot of ups and downs. Um and as as personally I've tried to navigate uh this this um uh this environment uh for uh Tacombi, you know, a, a business and a and, and, and a project that I love very much. This whole time since uh, COVID has, has begun, um, a lot of us within Tacombi have been connecting uh, daily um, as, 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 as this large team uh, to discuss uh, and, and manage our way through all the details um, of of what it's taken to to operate in this environment, and I think early on we gave our internal um, Zoom call the the name of Radio Tacombi, um, and it's become something that you know we and when I say we, you know, I'm referring to uh, uh, all, all of my colleagues and and, and me together uh, connect on um, uh, every, every morning. Uh, at, at 9 a.m. to kind of go through the the goals and targets for the week as, as we've been trying to move as quickly as possible through all the challenges that have come our way um, operating in, the, in this environment and, and trying to do the best for uh, our employees and, 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 and our customers alike. I want to ask about some hard numbers, which are how many folks were employed at Tacombi pre-COVID and how many do you have working now and how many locations did you have pre-COVID and how many of those are open right now? Um, so there were uh, a little more than uh, 400 people uh, working at Tacombi prior to COVID. Um, and you know, in, on March twelfth to the the fifteenth, you know, as we began the process of, of shutting down, uh, we laid off um, uh, almost everyone but twenty people in our team, um, and you know, began this process of uh, everyone that stayed on board. Uh, uh, his responsibility was divided to, to be in touch with every single person um, that is uh, part of, of Tacombi uh, as, as, you know, trying to get an understanding of where they were personally and, and, and go, go through that process. And throughout all this, we've brought it uh, back up to around uh, 300 people. And, um, and right now we're, we're starting to manage our way through um, you know, what, what is this next, uh, shutdown? Um, and then in terms of, 
number of locations. Uh, we've actually just added uh, the first location um, uh, that, that we had planned to open uh, at the end of the spring uh, on the Upper East Side. We got our gas meter turned on today, so we're super excited about that. Um, and we'll now have uh, uh, nine Tacombi locations open. Um, and it would have been 10, except we decided that the seasonal location that we have in Montauk, uh, not to continue that um, anymore um, and, um, and, and, and just focus on those locations that we can operate year round. So you actually opened a new location or are about to as of December of 2020 in the midst of another shutdown, you've actually got another location that's come online. And uh, besides having it in the pipeline and maybe, you know, having a lease that you couldn't get out of, are you, are you excited about this new project in a way where you think that there's opportunity there right now during COVID? Or is this more of a long-term strategy where you think to yourself, we're getting a location open, we're going to weather the storm, and we've got a, you know, a 10 or a 15-year lease there, and it's going to end up making sense down the line? I, th- I think it's the latter. Uh, you know, we, I think all we've had like a really uh, long-term approach to everything um, at Tacombi. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I might, I might've told you last time we spoke, but, you know, I, I've been, you know, drawing pictures, uh, in crayon, of, of this story about Mexico that, that I've wanted to share, uh, for a very long time. And, and so we've always kind of had this mindset of thinking long-term and, and, uh, with any location, you know, when, when you go to opening a restaurant and, and, and putting, you know, all that energy into it. Um, uh, you know, the, that long-term approach. And so get, getting out of a lease was never really something um, that came to mind. It was just understanding, you know, how, how could we work out uh, a win-win relationship uh, with uh, all the different stakeholders, you know, and, and in this case, the landlord uh, to, to help us weather that storm because, um, I think we we believe that you know this this will come to pass and and um, you know finding the the right balance to you know keep people um, in the company and finding the 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 way to do that um, so that they can provide for their families is I think also top of mind. When you talk about having sort of a a slow strategy or maybe a, a very uh, long-term specific strategy, what does that look like? What is the uh, location count, if that exists in your mind or in your you know, boardroom executive discussions? How many Tacombis might you be looking to open? And, uh, and also what feeds into that decision-making? What what informs that strategy of how you intend to grow to Combi, uh, both in number of locations and also uh, geographical locations, either other cities or making the decision to expand into other parts of uh, the boroughs that you aren't in right now? Since the very beginning, Tacombi as, as an idea was thought of as a vehicle in which we could share this story 
and, and perspective of Mexico. And so over time, it, it's been evolving and the responsibility that goes with that has also been evolving. And I think a large part of you know, building a hospitality brand is, is about uh, creating opportunity for the, the, the many people that bring a hospitality experience to life. And the more time that we've dedicated ourselves to doing this, um, uh, it, it, it's brought with it growth. And, and I think that has been coupled with this desire that I have from, from a very young age um, to share Mexico uh, with the world because I, of all the beautiful things that I, I see in it uh, and the experiences that I've had growing up hosting people uh, from different parts of, of the world uh, in Mexico. And because there is this very special uh, love in family that exists in Mexico, which is rooted in the tradition, which is rooted in its culinary uh, history and, and, um, and the diversity across the country, I think all th those things together that, that are Tacombi and, and what we're doing here, um, in terms of growing uh, the, the places where, where we share that experience, it's, it's been evolving alongside technology as well. And so in the United States, there's more than 45,000 uh, Mexican restaurants of all types. Uh, and, and then in the world outside of the United States, um, uh, there's some out there, uh, but you, you have to look really hard to find um, experiences and, and people that are dedicated to sharing these traditions and they exist. And, 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 you know, you see them more and more in, in, you know, different corners of the globe and, and, um, and with Tacombi, you know, we are trying to um, share this, this idea, you know, and as, as, as far as we can go. And I would, you know, love, nothing more than to be able to, you know, share it in Tokyo and share it in all these different places. And, you know, similar to your question about the lease, like these are just such long-term projects uh, to be able to, to do such things that over time you're, you know, from on the, on the business side of things, just trying to run that balance between, you know, how do we continually get better uh, and not lose that magic that was core uh, in, in, in the very beginning. And, and so as, as a company, we're looking, um, well, sorry, I'm correct myself. We're not looking, we we've committed to, uh, a number of locations on the East coast, um, uh, throughout this process and, and, and prior to COVID, um, and, and we'll be opening up to Combis, uh, in Washington and in, in Miami, uh, in the year ahead. The difficulty of going from one location to two locations and then from two to five locations, as long as they're all in the same city, you can use a, uh, a sort of a hub and spoke model where there's a commissary that feeds out into the other locations. Or you could have sort of more autonomous locations that function independently and every location produces 
everything on site by themselves. But it's easier when everything's in New York City, for example, if you run out of an item, you can always move it from one location to another if you get in a jam, right? And you absolutely need to uh, send tortillas or uh, beef or something like that from location to another. But when you start opening up in other cities, you need to recreate that entire experience and that entire production model and quality control in another city. So how are you going to do that? How will you manage the quality control and the experience and the overall just day-to-day operations uh, when you're in multiple cities? What's the mechanisms for making that a successful expansion? Yeah, these are some of the things that you get to think about when you're not uh, going out to a concert or to a movie theater or any of the things that you didn't get to do uh, this year, right? Like these, these are some of the things that we've all um, uh, been thinking about as, as we've been uh, quarantining uh, this, this time. And, and they're complex problems to solve for. And luckily, you know, there are a lot of uh, people who have uh, gone out and, and tried to solve these problems. Uh, they've written about it. There's, you know, all kinds of books from, from people who have, you know, built supply chain and, and built training. And so I think like uh, most problems we've tried to solve, we, we do a lot of research. We put a lot of thought into it and, and ask a lot of people and how they think it would be best. And then we try to look at how we do things and create, you know, the, uh, uh, the best approach there. And, you know, so supply chain and training people, I, I think we're, we're lucky uh, luckier than ever before that technology has really made this huge difference in how we're able to uh, plug into local supply chains uh, and find uh, the the quality and the mindset that we've developed intrinsically over the years from from the time that you know we were in Playa del Carmen and 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 the fish you know there was caught by the the uh, cooperativa de, de pescadores down there and and to what it is here in New York and, and, you know, how, you know, at at one point working with Gossman's and Montauk and going through all this process to kind of find that right balance. And on the training and development side and sharing that, I think like as much as you're building a, uh, a brand that is customer facing, you're also building um, an employee-facing brand, right? And and so trying to think about all the things that are important uh, in that process. And um, it's, I think actually that is probably the most important and the uh, most gratifying part of the whole process is, you know, we, we've branded it internally for ourselves as Mexican hospitality, you know, and it's based on values that we've learned um, from all the different types of hospitality experiences in Mexico and, and many of the awesome people that are in New York that hail from Mexico uh, that, that contribute to the hospitality industry here and, and kind of in learning and watching them, we have tried to build this program uh, that, uh, allows someone to put their heart into uh, uh, a trade or 
a, a specific task and, and, and turn that into a career. And, and so to solve both of those things that you asked in your question, I think it's, it's trying to put those together and manage them at the right time uh, with, with the right balance that uh, allows them to be natural. And, you know, I'm really happy that, you know, j- just recently we promoted a, 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 a young guy uh, from Puebla, you know, who um, uh, his family is from Puebla and he was born here and, and he's been with our business uh, for eight years now and started off um, with zero experience. Uh, but just those values that, that I was speaking of and, and is now uh, the general manager of one of our locations and, and has gone through that process. And it's, it's that kind of framework that he can now teach um, to other people and, and that we can try to create a system uh, that, that allows for that ownership. And, and because hospitality is, you know, you're problem solving constantly uh, throughout the day and on, on the different situations that arrive, that, that, that arise, you know, it's, it's um, ha- ha- having, you know, that, that mindset is such a, a game changer. And, and throughout COVID is, 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 you know, I think many people have learned, like you were problem solving and adapting constantly, right, to the whole process. In terms of how COVID has affected Tacombi is in terms of the actual food and how you've changed or have not changed the way that you've either uh, – cook the food and distribute it to customers. And by that, I mean for dine-in or takeaway with all the new restrictions. And then the other way that I'm wondering about how COVID has affected Tacombi is just in the way that your staff deals with customers. Basically, it's been an entirely different, almost 10 months now of indoor and outdoor restrictions and, and how people just interact with restaurants. So I'm wondering what changes you may have made over the last several months and what learnings you've gathered um, because of COVID. So on food and preparing food, we've spent a, a great amount of time looking at the process and procedure for all the different things that, that go into making uh, excellent food, right? And, and as we, you know, have been able to kind of look at every single process uh, and, and, and try to be efficient in, in how we execute, in the short term, we decided to you know, re- reduce the number of menu items uh, and, and, you know, try to kind of bring more focus to less items. So I think, you know, that piece there, you know, just al- allowed us to produce food faster. And, and, and given that such a high percentage now was going to take out and delivery. Um, and, 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 and I think working with all the purveyors, to quickly adjust to like a, a, a different volume of business overall as, as we've gone through the whole process. Delivery in general, you know, has grown uh, substantially throughout this whole process. And we've tried to capture as much as possible through tacombi.com where, you know, we can have that 
connection with our customers and, and, and just be able to bring them up to speed for whatever it might be. And, and, and I think contact tracing is just like one of those things that has come out of COVID where, you know, going through that process of, of being able to let a customer know if, if there is an issue or should they need to be tested or a- anything of that type. Um, and so, you know, what, what COVID has really forced us to do from that point of view is uh, be meticulous about every single thing that goes into our business and, and comes out of it. Right. Um, and as a, as a food business and, 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 and I think many people can relate, you know, there are so many moving parts, uh, in that, which you have to control from the business point of view, but more importantly, you have to control it for the quality and of flavor point of view and, and that, that, that you have that type of precision. And so I think that's been one of those, positive things that just under this pressure and focus of COVID, uh, we've made a lot of small improvements that over time have added up uh, to, to, to be a net positive for us uh, across the Combi. Um, and then I think on your second question, and this is something I've seen you know, in New York as outdoor dining uh, became a thing, is that people in New York uh, are, have so much grit and, and it is such, uh, uh, a special type of individual that makes up, you know, this city that, you know, when they were out in, uh, and enjoying, you know, this, this whole, um, outdoor dining experience that is new to New York city and made that, that energy is, is contagious. And, and it's, I think, made everyone so happy across, you know, our business. And I think when you're in hospitality, you know, one of the awesome things about this business is that it is that human interaction with so many people and, and giving something uh, that people thank you for. And, uh, and, 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 and that kind of virtuous circle that is hospitality customers in the city, I'd say, on average have been incredibly helpful and supportive uh you know following all the guidelines that have been set out there holding their masks you know when when someone comes to the table wearing the mask when they go into the to use the 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 facilities or 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 whatnot um that whole process has i i think just formed like a stronger bond and, and and i feel this is like one of those positive things I was referring to early on. It's, it's this bond and connection that's happened on a different level throughout COVID and, and that relationship between uh, the regulars um, in each of the neighborhoods um, that uh, we've been lucky to, to share to Combien has been a really cool thing. One of the interesting innovations that came out of COVID was this, the outdoor dining and the ability to uh, increase your footprint uh, outside the four walls of your restaurant and have a, either a space on the sidewalk or a space in the street. Um, As a business owner, more seats mean potentially more food purchases and and higher revenues. So I'm wondering, uh, did outdoor dining um, help you dramatically uh, are you excited for next year when there could be outdoor dining and there's hopefully no COVID? And then also, does does outdoor dining and its 
uh, continuation in future years as a program, does it make you evaluate real estate opportunities by uh, by looking at at places where perhaps you may have not considered before? Uh, since outdoor dining seems like it's a program that's going to continue moving forward, I think outdoor dining is one of the coolest things that's happened to you know cultural life in in the city. Um, and like like I was mentioning just now, with respect to the the customers, you know, to to be able to walk around the streets uh, of our city and see people um uh see how all of the different restaurants of the city have applied their creativity to uh sharing that experience out on the street has been like one of the the i think coolest aspects of the whole thing right and and so you you know instead of you know, people being you know behind closed doors and 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 you know in inside of all these restaurants that they're all out on the street and that, and that activity and that energy is out there. Um, and no matter where you go in the city, it's, it's created this really cool new environment. And, and, and I think even, um, in the cold months ahead, you know, the, the opportunity for the city to kind of live its Nordic, you know, uh, true Nordic roots, given that we are in, in a pretty Nordic latitude or whatever you want to call it, is, is another cool thing that I think people, you know, will, will get to explore and get more comfortable with being outside and finding ways li- like they do uh, in many northern cities or in the mountains um, uh, around, around the world where, you know, uh, you, you uh, have different ways to eat outside in, in the cold weather, right? And it definitely breaks down a lot of barriers for um, people uh, in, in terms of being able to have that experience out on the street and, and, and hopefully will lead to, you know, a, a healthier city with, you know, less congestion in the future as, as, you know, policymakers look at like the different things that they can do to reduce the number of cars on the road and, and whatnot. Um, but it's, it's a, really cool thing. And, and I, it was a lifeline for the business throughout this whole process. Absolutely. Um, we, uh, have put a lot of effort into that whole aspect, uh, of what, what we do at Tacombi in terms of being able to share that experience and make it comfortable for the guests, um, make it a place that they want to come and hang out in no matter what the weather is. Um, and it's challenging and like a lot of the problems we've had to solve this year, it's, it's one of the more fun problems I'd say to solve, um, in terms of, you know, playing with the, the different materials that you can and, and, and the guidelines that the said the city has put up, um, in terms of looking at real estate and choosing it based on that, you know, if this becomes a permanent thing and, and, and as, as, as I've read and heard that many people want it to. Um, we'll definitely take that into account. It's, um, you know, something that I personally, you know, have enjoyed going to different places in the city. So looking forward to more of that. The food program that you were just talking about, we definitely, we spoke about it last time, but can you 
go into a little bit more detail about it. How is it, is it funded out of Tacombi Profit and where do you deliver the meals to and, and how are they distributed? So it, uh, we, we have a foundation that we set up a couple years ago. Uh, when I started Tacombi back in 2006, uh, my, my intention in, in, in building the, the brand was to build this company that could share with the world all these beautiful things that uh, we, we see in Mexico. And in exchange for that, invest in education in Mexico. And, and, and this is something that's personally um, very important to me and, and just part, part of my own mission. And as Tacombi has been growing and, and, and breaking that barrier into profitability, over you know over over the years because it, it's definitely taken a while to to get there. We've been contributing to different efforts, one off, you know, um, through, throughout uh, many times throughout the year, uh, and put it together. And uh, this uh, awesome woman joined our team, uh, uh, Susana Camarena, and she worked for a foundation in New York City uh, called Qualitas that. Uh, focused on uh, financial literacy for immigrants, so helping people that are, uh, were unbanked uh, acquire the skills uh, so that they don't, you know, lose such a large percent of their paycheck, for example, to these, you know, check and cash type systems, right? And she joined our team, and 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 we've been building, you know, the this the concept behind the foundation and. When all this happened, we repurposed it specifically for the need that we had identified in terms of the um, food insecurity that had, had just exploded in the city because of, of the situation. And, you know, we reached out to our network and uh, raised funds uh, and reached out to different types of organizations. Um, uh, Grubhub, you know, one, one of our partners uh, made it made a significant donation to the program and all kinds of awesome people uh, anonymously donated, you know, uh, significant checks uh, to the to the program, and our customers uh, have been ordering um, uh, and and adding at the end of their check a number of different options we have to this program. And as we've gone through this whole process of COVID, and I'd say, you know, for lack of a better word, stabilized our business, with, you know, with the plan in terms of how we're going to get through all this. Uh, which is, you know, working with our landlords and working with everyone else uh, together to, to find this solution. Um, we have been making this switch so that uh, a percentage of Tacombi's overall revenue will go to continually supporting this program. And, um, and in fact, we are, uh, we made, we made the decision that, you know, we will fully donate Cinco de Mayo going forward uh to this program, uh, so all, all, all the revenue across all our stores and, and any events that we can create in and around this will go to using Cinco de Mayo to raise awareness for, you know, the these causes um, uh, re- related to the that, that the Tacombi Foundation is focused on. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more of the line here on Heritage Radio.
This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally, sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select whole food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Welcome back to The Line on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. Let's pick up the second half of my conversation with Dario Wolos of Tacombi right now. As you look to grow and, uh, and have new initiatives, uh, did you in the last couple of years or are you planning to uh, in the next couple of years moving forward take on any uh, – institutional investment or private investment in order to grow? Or do you plan, is it your intention to continue to grow to Combi um, strictly from within by uh, using profit and revenue in order to further the growth of the company? Financing this type of business is a tough one. Um, as anyone you know, who's been in the restaurant business, right? And um, what, what, what it takes to uh, financially to make uh, a restaurant or, or a hospitality experience happen. Um, and I was very lucky a, a couple years ago to meet this very successful Mexican entrepreneur uh, who has many locations uh, around, around Mexico and, and a number of other Latin American countries. And he gave me uh, this really good advice, you know, that as a, as a, as a leader for this business, you know, one of, one of my responsibilities is to constantly lower our cost of capital. And it's, it's a, it's a loaded term because it, it's, it's hard to understand exactly what that means at different times throughout the business. Um, but that general idea of just trying to get the cheapest possible capital to grow the business, uh, I think can be matched with uh, capital that has that experience uh, um, to challenge you or to you know push you and advise you and 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 when you're in this process of brand building and, and, and business building and, and, and trying to go to go bigger. And so I, I think, you know, bringing those different 
pieces together uh, to to be able to share Tacombi in Tokyo and to be able to share Tacombi in Omaha and Cleveland, Ohio, and and you know all all, all the different places uh, that I would I would love to be able to share Tacombi. Um, I think will will definitely require um, more capital than than the business can. Uh, produce to get to that next level that goes back to one of the questions you asked a while ago, which was about like supply chain and training. And it's kind of like building those systems. Um, in order to see it, I think in my lifetime, right. Cause being a little selfish here and I do want to see it, uh, in my lifetime, I, I, I want to be, uh, I want I, I want to be there when we get to, take these things that, that were started, uh, you know, in, in Playa del Carmen 15 years ago, uh, to, to all these different places. And, 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 and I hope kind of be this, this, uh, uh, connection to Mexico that will even entice people to want to, uh, visit Mexico itself and, and, and explore it in the way that we do. And, and hopefully, you know, share all these things that uh, we've seen and, 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 and be able to offer, you know, good advice to people who want to go on their own adventures in Mexico. You're more than, you're going to be 15 years into this uh, journey and you're still obviously in the thick of it. You're, you have multiple locations, but you, you've articulated that you have much more that you want to do, but uh Folks must come to you all the time, uh, maybe people that work for you, maybe people that don't, and they're probably asking you for advice. And I'm wondering if you can distill down a little bit of advice that you would give to someone, perhaps that that works for you for a certain amount of time or someone from outside your organization who might say, I think I have a good idea and I want to start it as a food business. What would you suggest to that person knowing what you know now? I would say to them to put their heart into it. And I would also say to them to uh, not put a timeline on it in terms of the evolution of these things, you know, to to think long-term. I think, uh, you know, those two things I think are fundamental uh, to the the success uh, that 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 idea has had by itself, um, and then you, if you're lucky, those two things uh, will will allow you to uh, surround yourself and 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 be in the presence of really awesome people. who will help you bring that idea or your, your vision to reality because it, it takes so many different people and, and the support and the support of, of so many people outside of yourself and your own passion to make something like that happen. Um, uh, and, 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 and to be open to listening to all those people um, in terms of what they say, not, not, not to do everything they tell you, right. Obviously you, you, you have to, uh, make your, your decisions there and, and find ways to, to, to go through that process. Um, 
And, and if you can bring those things together and not give up, um, and, and, you know, design your adventure or your mission so that you can go somewhere that, that, uh, you think will be fun, uh, and, and that you get to have fun in the process, um, then, then you can, uh, go after these things. And, and, and I think like, you know, no, no matter what it is, right. No matter what, what the endeavor and, you know, the awesome people that are, you know, making the vaccines possible, for example, right. That, that, that have been able to bring these things and, and they've been on their pass, uh, on their path, you know, to, to make that happen for so many of us, you know, I, I, I think there, there is this wonderful thing, um, in the human to problem solve that, you know, in, in this business of hospitality and, and sharing a perspective on a tradition and a, and a culture on all the many different ways that it's done around the world is such a cool thing to come back to. And I think it's something that this year, more than ever, we, it's been made clear how important that is in our lives, um, how, how, how important it is a service to each other that we carry on in hospitality that can only be made possible by all these other things, such as, 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 as the vaccine in this case, um, that uh, you know, if, if you do have an idea in hospitality you want to carry through, I think those, those things will help you get there through the, the thick of it. People in the United States, I think on the whole, consider uh, Mexican food and tacos to be a, uh, an inexpensive, fast item. And I'm wondering if that has hampered your abilities at all to be successful. It seems like uh, what you would consider sort of upscale Mexican food is a, a more recent um, innovation to New York City specifically. That's what I can speak to, just seeing some restaurants that have opened here that have um, a higher price point. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on uh, how people interact with Mexican food in the United States and, and whether or not what you can charge is in line with what you think you should charge. Price, I think from the point of view of the customer can can be used in many different ways and and i think you know to your question you know, uh, a high price or a low price sends a message to the to the customer as to what that product or service might have behind it right and mexican food as a cuisine is labor intensive and probably more complex to make than a lot of the European cuisines uh, that command really high prices, right? And I've kind of always asked myself, you know, why can a European or uh, Japanese artisan, for example, command more for their work than an artisan from uh, Kenya or Mexico or, or, or a number of different places. Right. And, 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 and I think, you know, 
the 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 craftsmanship and intensity and and passion that goes in across the board is equal right and it becomes price then becomes a, a, a positioning point from that point of view and you know across the united states we had taco bell which you know for decades now is positioned and introduced many people to the palate or this idea of what mexican food you know might be like or something which i i think in you know you can look at it as a good thing in terms of it's opened the palate to you know millions and millions of people uh to these ideas that mexican food is based on and and i think that the proliferation now of uh people sharing all these awesome things about mexico is just something i think we're all lucky to get to enjoy and and as a restaurateur, you know, the way that you build that structure up, that price structure up, uh, accounts for your perspective. And, and if your perspective includes a certain quality of ingredients uh, and uh, a certain amount of effort in the service and a certain amount of effort in the decor and then and, and effort in the disciplines in terms of, you know, hygiene and sanitation and all these different things, well, it's going to cost more than, uh, you know, different ways of, of putting that same equation together. Right. And so I think, you know, the appreciation that so many chefs uh, are driving for Mexican cuisine and the variety and the diversity of traditions and techniques that come from the many different regions of the country um, are a, a really good thing. And I think it's an awesome way for Mexican communities in the United States to connect with people that are not of the same background and to share something special and, and offer that connection between them. And, and so the, the price point will be, you know, based on, on, and how they decide to put those things together. And I think in the case of Tacombe, you know, we've tried to find uh, the balance uh, that gives uh, a lot of attention to the quality of the ingredients um, and a lot of attention uh, to the quality of Mexican hospitality and, and how we build that up and invest in it to, to make that connection. And, you know, we've we found that, you know, that the balance that we've achieved works for us and the way Tacombi is set up. And, and, you know, I think it's something that, you know, we, we can continue to do and share with more people. And, uh, but it really is that, 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 uh, positioning, right. And I, I remember, you know, when I was young and, and seeing Starbucks for the first time and understanding, you know, the difference of what it, costs for uh, a coffee there versus the type of coffee that was available. And, and as you kind of put that whole experience together, you know, this, you know, this, all the labor that goes into making coffee and, you know, in, in the, at the, from, from the time the seed is sown and, and then harvested to all the process, the process that makes it to your cup, um, you know, commanded this price uh, that, that people obviously, you know, love throughout the world and, 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 and continue to love and, and has created this whole 
new generation of, of um, coffee shops that, that take it even further. Right. And, and so I think like, you know, the stuff that we're doing in Tacombe has always had this guideline of trying to best respect the traditions, uh, not modify them, not change them, but re- respect them and, and, and honor them in the process of sharing them. And, and, and we found these ideas in, in many different parts across Mexico and, and brought that into Tacombe and you know, that, that's what this experience is about. And that's what has helped us define the, the price structure for that. Obviously, COVID is not going to magically disappear uh, at the end of this year. But as we get to the end of 2020, what are you looking forward to in 2021? And how are you going to use 2020 in order to propel yourself personally and the business forward? I'm looking forward to taking a break, uh, having a, a little rest sometime soon. Uh, there, there has not been much this year. Um, and, 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 and I, and I know that goes for everyone that I, I work with, um, and, and, and all the people in our industry that, that have kind of worked around the clock to, to, see their businesses through this, this whole environment. Um, I think there have been so many positive learnings, uh, and, and, and I hope to use all of those, uh, uh, to, to make Tacom be better, to be better myself, uh, and push the, 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 the business and, and, and myself and, and, and the people that uh, I work with, you know, to, to the next level and, and just to be part of that process and enjoy the journey. I, you know, I'm thankful just to be here after all this because it, it just has been so intense. Dario, thanks so much for taking time to speak with me today. It was my, my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Um, it's great to talk with you and, and, and reflect on this year and, 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 and on what it really means. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Line on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. To find all the episodes of The Line, you can go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash The Line or on Spotify by searching for The Line Heritage Radio Network or on Apple iTunes Podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.